0: This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. It's time for a new season. Come on, say it with conviction. It's time for a new season. Amen. What I want to do this morning is I want to reference three different people in the Bible about how they found their new season and the circumstances around it. And it's actually John chapter 3, John chapter 4, John chapter 5. Three successes, success, uh, ch- successive chapters in the book of John. And three different people we're going to reference. And the first guy I'm going to talk about is a guy by the name of Nicodemus. And let's read together, if we can, in John chapter 3, verse 1. And you can follow along on the screen behind me. It says this. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. I want to give a little bit of background on Nicodemus before we follow along with the story. First of all, the name Nicodemus literally means conqueror of the people. Conqueror of the people. say, well, how in the world does that relate to me? I don't know if you've ever had any circumstances that just consistently feel like they're conquering you. Okay, picture a Nicodemus. Okay, he was one of the main leaders of the Sanhedrin, which was the religious uh, uh, Jewish council of the day. It was a ruling council. It was also a theological council. They had a whole bunch of theology, but they didn't understand God, which was sad. And even though he knew that, that all this information about God, and he knew all of these courses, he probably taught in the Bible college of the day. He was very well respected, and he was very well known. What's interesting about this man is there was something that was dissatisfied in his heart. There was something that wasn't lining up, and there was something that he was tired of. He knew that he was in an old season, and he was desperate to find a new one. So let's read on in verse 2. I want you to see what he did. It says this, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God was not with him. Now, he didn't want to go way out on a limb, so he came at night. He wanted to be hidden. He didn't want anyone to see him. And I tell you right now, there's a lot of people in the city of Kingston right now that have a religious background. They have an understanding of God. Maybe they've been in church. Maybe they've been around church. Maybe they grew up in Sunday school. Maybe they went to a vacation Bible school at some point in their life. But they have an understanding of God, but through a religious framework, through a legalistic framework, just like Nicodemus. But there was something that caught his attention, and it was simply this. There were supernatural signs, wonders, and miracles of Jesus that could not be explained according to his theological persuasions. How many know that when God does something that's unexplainable, like the entire weekend last weekend, unexplainable how a prophet of God could read people's mail that accurately, referencing things that he would have no clue of? There's people I've already talked to in this room right now that are blown away, literally blown away by the level of accuracy, the level of things that God touched, on last week <clears throat> but let's carry on with the story uh, verse 3 it says this jesus replied very truly i tell you no one can see the kingdom of god unless you're born again cameron's prayer phrase you're not going to see the new season unless you're transformed you're not going to experience something new unless there's a transformation that takes place right nicodemus's response was like so many of us today this was his response verse 4 How can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Think about this. Jesus looks at him and says, you need to be born again. He's never heard of that term before in his life. Never heard of the concept of what it means to be born again. Those that have been around church circles for any length of time will know what that word means. Although I do think there's too many church people that like to use that and never explain it. So people say, okay, well, you've got to be born again. That's weird. And all the people you're talking to are saying the same thing that Nicodemus says. How in the world can I, as an old person, fit back inside my mother's womb? That's impossible. Well, it is impossible. But Jesus goes on and explains it. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water, birth, and of the Spirit, spiritual birth. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. In other words, nothing reproduces except after its own kind. You're not going to plant you know, seeds for an apple tree and get an orange. It's just not going to happen. And that sounds so basic. But that's literally what Jesus is saying. Listen, whatever is born in the flesh is, it can reproduce flesh. But whatever is born of the Spirit, in other words, whatever is born from God, from heaven, can only come from those things that are of the Spirit. Verse 7, it says, You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Think about this for a second. Nicodemus already had an understanding of God many of us in our culture today in Kingston have an understanding of God now It's getting messed up and it's getting confused and it's getting a whole bunch of mixture connected to it It's getting a little bit of humanism and a little bit of moral relativism and a little bit of this and a little bit of that And some Christians are actually walking out with a little bit of a little bit of Islam and a little bit of Buddhism and a little bit of Hinduism and a little bit of this and they think that's okay It's not I have news for you. It's not Jesus didn't give us that option. John 14, 6, he looked at them and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can come to God the Father except through me. So he didn't give us another option. He only gave us himself as the option. But I want you to see this with Nicodemus. He had an understanding of God, but what he was looking for was proof of his miracles, proof of the supernatural. If you go back over the 10 years in movie history, And you will be blown away by the amount of supernatural movies. Something to do with the supernatural. Something to do with the other world. Something to do with anything other than reality. Why? It's being pushed and pushed and pushed. Why? Because people are trying to give answers to something that they're asking for, but keep getting the wrong answers. People are interested in supernatural things. Just look at the TV shows. Look at the movies. Look at the topics of conversation. Turn on Oprah. (laughs) They're talking about it all the time. Why? Because they are dissatisfied with the answers they've been given so far. Right? So there's another answer. There's only one answer. Only one. It makes the decision actually pretty easy. It's this guy or it's this guy. Which one do you want? Right? Why don't you hear me for a second? When you walk... In the old season, you're always going to be looking for proof. But when you walk in the new season, God always uses you as proof. So what am I saying? It's time to get rid of the old. It's time to get rid of the looking for evidence everywhere you go. It's time to look for all the proof and all the answers that you're looking for before you make a decision. Sometimes you've had so much proof and so much evidence. I mean, in a a, a court of law, they could put that person away a thousand times over because there's so much evidence. But God is simply saying, very simply this morning, take a step out of your old season and into the new. Because God's not going to prove himself to you before you step forward. That's how we think. Well, God, if you just do this or if you just do that, then God, then I'll walk into the new season. God is saying, step forward into the new season and then you'll experience the new. Then you'll experience the very thing that that will become the proof for everybody else because they're just going to simply look at you. Amen? So the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 put a, a, a verse or a phrase or an idea on Timothy and, on the fo- and his followers at that time that absolutely perfectly explained this whole experience of being born again. This is what he says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in other words, you've stepped into the new season, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new person. No? He's a new creation. When you actually look up the Greek word for that idea of new creation, it literally means the creative act of the divine. The creative act of the divine, the supernatural. In other words, God supernaturally changes you into a completely different creation. Something totally different. Something never seen before. People often explain it as, you know, the caterpillar turning into a butterfly. But even in that, in some ways, doesn't do it justice. Yes, it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful illustration of what we can understand that process. But it's so much bigger than that. So much bigger. Because old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Once someone decides to make Jesus their Savior and surrender. They're not merely reformed. They're not merely rehabilitated. They are recreated. That's how you've seen some of your friends come up to you after you had an experience with God, and they look at you and they go, what happened to you? Why don't you want to go out and do what we used to do all the time? I just can't, man. I just... I just, I had an experience with God and I'm just changed. I'm different. I, I don't even want to do that stuff anymore. Well, I don't understand that. It's okay. Just hang around me long enough and I'll be the proof of God in your life. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Amen? The old is gone. The new has come. It's time to move into a new season. The NLT version of it says it like this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun and the word that's actually used for the word new is the word kanos um, and it literally means this something new a new form something fresh recently made fresh unused unworn of a new kind unprecedented uncommon unheard of are you getting the picture of what god wants to do for you that's what he wants to do While Nicodemus was looking for the evidence of the supernatural, instead, he ran headfirst into the very love of God. The most famous verse in all of Christianity is John 3.16. NFL football is starting this afternoon for those that may even care. Actually, technically, it started Thursday night with headset gate, but hey, that's okay. I'm not a bitter Pittsburgh Steeler fan. It's okay. And um, it's all about the headsets. Anyhow... I want, you to, I want you to watch an NFL football game today and in every stadium around the, uh, the United States of America you're going to see John 3.16 posted. And sometimes we read that and we, we look at that and we go, oh, that's cool. What's that about? Well, the person that Jesus was talking to with that verse was Nicodemus. And he said, for God so loved, not, not loved, but so loved, the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not have to live in the old season any longer. This is Cameron's paraphrase. But you can have full access to a new season called everlasting life. An everlasting life of God that lives in and through your life every single day of your being. How do we know that Nicodemus responded to that that call? How do we know that he, he actually became a Christian? How do we know that? Well, John chapter seven verses forty-five to fifty-two. I'm not going to read it, but you can reference it for those that like to take notes. John seven verse forty-five to fifty-two. We see Nicodemus standing before the Sanhedrin, of which he was a part of, and arguing for Jesus and proving with evidence of the reality that Jesus was the Messiah. So, it's, well, okay, that's good. I'm, I think that's proof. Well, I'll go one step further. When Jesus died, in John chapter nineteen verse thirty-nine, there were a couple people that took Jesus's body off cross, embalmed him and placed him in the tomb. One was Joseph of Arimathea, and guess who the second one was? Nicodemus. He was there at Jesus, at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. He was defending him in the middle of Jesus's ministry, and he was the one caring for Jesus as he died and was put in the tomb. That man's heart was changed. He was looking for supernatural evidence of a God that he really struggled to believe in, and on his route of trying to find evidence, he found a savior. Second person, John chapter 4, is an incredible story of a woman. Uh, we would know her as the Samaritan woman, or some of you may have heard the story of the woman at the well. But I, wanna, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about her, but I want to take a bit of a different spin. For those that know our background, Sandra is a missionary kid, has been on the mission field for over 35 countries, um, she loves bleeds and absolutely weeps over missions or outreach or anything she was in her element yesterday just like Lisa and Joel were in their element yesterday because she bleeds for that stuff for me my background's uh, social work so I have dealt with people my whole life I've had counseling session after counseling session I've walked with people helped help people talk with people through situations and have been honored to do that um, But I can honestly say in all of my dealings with people, I've lost count how many times someone has sat across the desk for me and they looked at me and they've asked this question. What's the point of even trying? You're saying I should go do this or I should go get life skills or I should go get a job or I should go get some apprenticeship training or I should get anger management counseling or I should do this and I should do that. What's the point? Because I've tried something before. And I just go right back to the same old, same old all the time. I try, and then I fall. I try, and then I fall. And it just gets frustrating. Well, this woman in John chapter 4 was a Samaritan woman living within the confines of a Jewish culture. And for those that know your Bible history would know that a Samaritan and a Jew did not speak with one another. A Samaritan was an outcast. They weren't talked to. They weren't associated with. She was also the town's bad girl, and everyone knew who she was. Everybody know that she had been with multiple husbands and even the person that she was with now was not even her husband. Talk about a prophet coming in and reading her mail. Just like Charlie last week, Jesus did the same thing with her and read her mail. Five different times she's tried to start over. Five times she started to build a new life. Five different times she tried to have a new season. Five times she did everything she could to move past what was old, the chains that were holding her back with what was old. She'd now given up on marriage, she'd given up on happiness, and she'd given up on hope. And on top of that, because of the way that the Jewish customs of the day worked, is the Jewish women were able to get their water filled at the first part of the day when the sun was not that hot. It was warm, but it wasn't hot. Where Samaritans, they had to go in the middle of the day. Literally says in the Bible, the sixth hour of the day, which at that particular point... They always started their clocks at 6 a.m., went to 6 p.m. So the sixth hour of the day was what? 12 noon. I don't know if you've ever been in Israel at 12 noon with the sun over top of you. It is, it's crazy hot. 40 degrees. Easy. So what happens? As she's walking towards Jacob's well to get her water, she sees a man standing at the well. And I go one step further A man was not to associate with a woman unless her husband or her father was there. Don't get mad at me about why that is. I don't support that, but that's just how the customs were back then. Okay? That's how it was back then. So let's pick up the story in John chapter 4, starting at verse 1. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Wow, what what an incredibly profound statement. He was thirsty. So instead of getting it himself, which he should have done, what did he do? He asked her. How many know that when you're seeking God, God usually finds you? When you're not seeking God and you're stuck in your old season, God can supernaturally find you. Some of us think if our life is all together, God will find us and bless us. No, the grace and the mercy of God blows me away. Sometimes in the midst of our chaos, God finds you. In the midst of her chaos, in the midst of her hopelessness, in the midst of her despair, in the midst of her frustration, and in the midst of the very worst of her old season, Jesus finds her. Jesus wants to find you today. Not only did he ask her a question, but he broke cultural etiquette by doing it. I'm really thankful that sometimes Jesus can uh, go, go against the rules of culture in order to get through to you right Let's carry on in verse 8 it Says his disciples had gone into the town to buy food the Samaritan woman said to him You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman how can you ask me for a drink For Jews did not associate with Samaritans And Jesus answered and said if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you the living water Sir the woman said you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep where can you get this living water so he references living water. She thinks he's talking about the water in the well. He doesn't even have a, a, any, anything to get the water out of. And he's saying, how in the world can you fetch me water which you don't even have a bucket to get with? Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, I want evidence of the supernatural. Jesus goes a completely different way and says, you must be born again. That's not what I asked for. I'm supposed to get, you're supposed to get water and you don't even have a bucket? That's, that's wacky. goes on and says this. Where can you get this living water? Verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. It's amazing how Jesus actually draws in the very same story he just shared in John chapter 3. He talked about the difference between, between born of the water versus born of the spirit. Now he says, listen, there's something greater than natural water. It's spiritual water. It's living water. It's water that will cause you never to thirst again. What is it talking about? Is it talking about some physical drink that you can pick up and put on your tab? No. It's talking about a decision say I want to live my life for God and in the moment of that God will fill you with his very presence and his very life on the inside of you that's living water Hmm. her water source for years was Jacob's well and what Jesus was offering was to be the new source for a new season it's the same word for you this morning Nicodemus found a savior The Samaritan woman, actually a couple verses later, found what Jesus described to her as the Messiah, which means her deliverer. Nicodemus found a Savior. The Samaritan woman found the Messiah. And the third person, which we're not going to spend a lot of time in, but I just want you to see what he found. This is the man by the pool of Bethesda. In John chapter 5, verses 2 to 9, it says this, Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. I want you to understand today, this was the modern day hospital if they didn't have the means to be taken care of. Because the Bible actually says in verse 4 that the angels of God would stir up the waters in the pool of Bethesda. And as people got in, they would be healed. I've always thought to myself, like that's just any hot tub in the world. Any hot tub brings healing. But this is the greatest hot tub in the world. This hot tub brought healing. Why? Because there was an angelic presence. There was an angelic visitation. Going on to verse 5, it says, Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. I don't know about you, but when you're not feeling well... When you're struggling with something, when, when there's a, maybe a, a, a health issue, maybe it's a, maybe it's a bacterial issue, a viral issue, maybe it's something in your bones, your body, your back, your shoulders, your knees, whatever it is. I don't know about you, but when you're struggling physically, it affects every area of your life. And if you say it doesn't, you're lying like a dog. We'll have an altar call later for liars and we'll deal with that. But here's, here's what I want you to understand. There is nothing more debilitating... Nothing more frustrating, nothing more hopeless than to be in the old season called pain, 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 and pain. I know there's some of you in this room right now that have been going through stuff for a while. Some of you for years, some of you for months. How many want to be set free of that stuff today? Amen? Verse 6, When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? Hello? (laughs) Do you want to be made well? I've been sitting here for 38 years. No, I don't want to be made well. Like, of course I want to be made well. What do you think you're doing? Like, why in the world would you ask that dumb question? So Jesus has just responded in three dumb ways. Totally dumb. Makes no sense. Because what he was speaking to he had to speak a language of the new season in order to get them to see that they were speaking the language of the old. Wow, and until you make the shift from the old language to the new, Jesus' words will become completely irrelevant to you and you won't even understand them. You're going to look at him and say, what do you mean I've got to be born again? I can't fit into my mother's womb. That's nuts. Have you been out in the sun too long today, Jesus? John chapter 4, are you telling me you want water, but you didn't bring a bucket? That's crazy. John chapter 5, of course I want to be healed. Do you want to be made well? Verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. He didn't even answer Jesus. He was speaking in the old season. Well, the old season says that unless I get into the pool first and have my hot tub experience, I'll never be healed. Jesus says, um, excuse me, the hot tub is not the source for your healing. I am. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. To Nicodemus... Jesus was the Savior. To the Samaritan woman, Jesus was the source. And to this man who had been struggling for 38 years with a physical issue, Jesus was his Sabbath. What does that mean? His rest. His peace. Peace from the storm. Peace from the frustration. Peace from, I can't deal with this one more day. Peace from, I haven't slept in seven years because of this issue. Lord, I need peace. Peace. Jesus came and said, don't worry about the pool because there's something greater. The pool is the old season. Trying to figure it out. If I can do this, 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 and this, therefore I'll get my healing. And Jesus says, man, you got it all wrong. Jump into the new season. The new season says, just come to me and I can be your savior, your source, and your Sabbath all at the same time. Why? Because I love you. I'm going to revert back to John 3.16. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world, for God so loved you. Nothing else matters because He so loves you. He said, Well, you don't know where I've been. Oh, trust me. Some people know. You know. You don't know what I've done. Well, let's look at these three great people. So we had Nicodemus, who was proud and thought he was all that. A uh, Samaritan woman who was so hopeless and distraught, she was probably at every social service agency in the city every single day for years of her life because she was so down and discouraged about the hopelessness of her situation. And then we, got, then we got the guy at the end who's just given up life. I'm just going to sit here for 38 years and do nothing because nothing's ever going to work out. Somehow their life changed. Your life can change. Jesus wants to be your true Savior, he wants to be your true source of hope, and he wants to be your Sabbath rest today. So how do we know? I love how everything in the Bible fits together perfectly. There's, nothing is in there without it being thought through and cons- carefully considered. When Jesus came and he was born, they couldn't find room for him to be born in. So we know the story for those of us that have been around... December 25th, any length of time, even though it's been so commercialized and so much about Santa Claus, most of us that have been in the Canadian culture know the story of Jesus when he was born. He was born in a place that had been used for animals for years. It was used, it was abused. And sometimes we get this glorious picture of all the kids' books and we go, oh, that's so nice. Now, he was probably sitting in the midst of animal feces, clothed with the cloth that was given to them, was not their own, it wasn't new. Why? Because he wanted you to see that he came to deal with the sins and the problems and the hurts and the hang-ups of the world. And so he was born into the old season so that you could be set free into the new. So how does he do that? Well, let's, let's, let's look at the choice. The choices of what happened after Jesus died. I've never seen this before in my life until this week. Matthew 27, verses 59 and 60 It said this, when Joseph, for those who don't know the story, this is Joseph of Arimathea, who was the co-partner with Nicodemus to put Jesus into the tomb. It says this, had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean, another version says, pure linen cloth, and laid it in his, a tomb that had never been used before. First time, Jesus goes in. And Jesus says, listen, I defeated the old season. And now I'm creating the possibility for a new season. I've gone into the new tomb with cloths that have never been used. Why? Because I want to declare to you today the old is gone and the new has come. I want you to, do, I want you to understand today the old pain is gone and the new hope has come. I want you to understand today the, new, the old pain of past relationships and the, the old pain of disappointments is gone and the new has come. Why? Because he ended up in a new tomb just for you. He could have gone anywhere. But he went into a new tomb with new cloths and new linen because he wanted to declare something over this city, not just this church, over this city. That the days of the old are over and the new has come. Do you believe that this morning? Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.